David. I am the pastor here at Redeemer, and um, it is, it's getting closer to Christmas. Like, we are feeling it. I am uh, attending Christmas parties, eating too much, um, getting ready for a vacation. I hope you guys are, are feeling it, too. And one of the ways that we're trying to kind of also be in, the, in, the, in the, the Advent season as we prepare for Christmas is through this series that we're doing called Carols. We're taking some of the carols that uh, many of us grew up singing, uh, not all of us, but many of us grew up singing, and we're kind of just letting them be an inspiration and an entry point into some of the Christmas story. And so today, uh, we're going to do uh, one that actually is one of my favorites. When we texted in, uh, what was your favorite carol? This one is actually uh, one of my favorites, and uh, it's one that's grown on me over the years. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. <clears throat> and it was inspired um, from the passage in Luke chapter 2, uh, where the angels appear to the shepherds. We're going to get into that into a, a little bit more detail, uh, but before we open up the, the Bible and read it, why don't we, as we always do, go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are so thankful to be here this morning. I'm th- so thankful for all these folks who... Um, who, who are here to, to, to worship, to, to take the time out of their week to recognize uh, who you are and your importance in our lives and, and the good um, will that you have towards all of us, which is part of what we're thinking about right now as we approach um, Christmas. Lord, I just pray that as we open up your word and we hear an old familiar story, we, we, we think about an old familiar song that it could, um, it could be new and fresh to us, that it could jump off the pages in a way that, um, that your love and your work in this world would speak to our hearts and minds once again. And, and Lord, we would, we would love you and follow you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in our sight. Jesus, you are a rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. If you want to grab the Bible uh, in, in the chair in front of you, that's awesome. Uh, it's also going to be on the screens. Here we, here we go. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So um, this was a a very normal, probably expected incident in a a house full of boys. But a few uh, months ago, I walked into mommy and daddy's bathroom to discover that uh, the toilet had not been flushed and there was pee-pee on the seat. Um, and, uh, and this was not cool for many reasons, right? Uh, one, because mommy and daddy's bathroom is not a public restroom. And two, because when this happens, uh, my wife tends to point the finger at me 
and, and so when we sat down for dinner that night, um, even before we prayed, I looked up at my three boys and I said, boys, who forgot to flush the toilet and who pee-peed on mommy and daddy's toilet? And immediately, little boys' heads went straight down, right? Uh, and and through the thought in their brain was, oh shoot, I've been caught, right? All three of them, and I believe it could have been all three of them at the same moment. <clears throat> but we sat there for a few moments, and, uh, and kind of in that guilty silence, uh, Jeremiah, the middle boy, lifted his head up, and with a half look of seriousness, on his face, he said this, Dad, you know, you know those, those dwarfs, those, those norm, gnomes that are in people's yards? I think one of them came into our house, right, and went to the bathroom and didn't flush and pee-peed on the toilet seat. That's what happened, Dad, right? At which point, Shannon and I said, Jeremiah, you go to that bathroom right now and you clean up that pee, right? But the reason I share that story uh, this morning is because actually this week I was thinking about how historically... There was a time when people gave um, actually some consideration, some credence to those kinds of explanations for unexplained events. And maybe not that explanation so much, but, but a time in history where uh, there were spiritual or even um, in, in, in the technical sense, mythical explanations for things, and, and a lot of people really did believe those explanations for things. Like, for instance, the solar eclipse, right? This incredible phenomena <clears throat> that happened, it was this last summer, right? This last summer? Um, we know it happens because uh, every once in a while, the moon gets in the exact perfect spot in front of the sun, and it darkens the day. But um, there were a lot of other ancient explanations for why the, the day was darkened, right? Actually, both ancient Chinese and Viking cultures uh, had a belief that a celestial being actually was eating the sun, and that's what was happening. Like, for the ancient Chinese, it was a dragon. For the Vikings, it was uh, a wolf, and, um, and so it started to eat it, and then I guess got heartburn and let the thing loose, but, uh, but that, that was an explanation that people actually believed and were concerned about, like, some sort of apocalypse that was about to happen. Uh, another example is twins, right? Uh, Today, uh, we still don't really understand the Olsen twins, but um, we do understand how you get twins, right? Two eggs and two swimmer buddies meet up at the same time in the womb, or one egg and one swimmer buddy meets up and they split, right? Uh, and we have some of those twins. Uh, we know them. We see them. We understand how it happens. But again, historically, there were other explanations, uh, spiritual, mythical explanations for why twins exist. For instance, uh, the North American Dakota Indian tribe, um, they actually considered twins to be a, a different kind of human. They came from a, like a twin land, and, uh, and thus these twins from a different place were treated with tremendous respect uh, in, in the Dakota Indian tribe which makes me wish I would have been born a Dakota Indian. Well, that would have been awesome since I am a fraternal twin. But anyways, uh, actually in a lot of tribal cultures around the world, numerous ones, actually the second twin uh, was considered a, a, like a demonic imposter that was trying to invade in, uh, in the family or, um, or to a tribe, and they actually would kill the second uh, baby that, that, that was born. And so like that is uh, another example of where historically 
There have been a, a, a lot of rather incredible, incredible mythical spiritual explanations for things that people didn't immediately have answers for. But today, uh, not really any, this isn't something that, that we really consider anymore. Most Americans wouldn't give any kind of credence to these kind of explanations and in fact would have tremendous skepticism for, um, for anyone that tried to make an explanation for such things that was like that. And, and why? It's because we 21st century Americans uh, live in a different time and cultural space where our default position on understanding the world has changed. Um, and, and there's a lot of things that happened historically, but to bring back just a little bit of my own high school history that comes to mind, maybe this will um, bring something for you as well. Occam's razor. Does anybody remember uh, studying Occam's razor, right? It was an idea from the 14th century that said all things being equal, the simpler explanation is the more likely explanation. So it doesn't necessarily have to be something incredible or spiritual or mythical. Occam said it could just be the moon or something else that's in front of the sun that's making the day darken, and that's why it moves and goes away, right? So that, that, that happened, and we went through this process of cutting off a lot of, of these more uh, significant um, spiritual, mythical explanations for things. Another thing that happened, we then developed something called the scientific method, right, which is normative in our culture today uh, because it's been developed and adapted and taught, and regular people discovered that there were measurable, testable, and predictable ways that we could understand the things that happened in our world. And so today, uh, nobody goes looking for dragons or demons or ping dwarfs, right? We all want research-based, reliable facts to address our questions. And so today, what we do is we Google it, right? Which, uh, which has its own set of issues. But anyways, um, what hung me up in our Christmas story uh, when I read this scripture was the angels. Okay, uh, hark the herald angels sing. It's the way that we're entering into this story. And angels are front and center in this carol. They're front and center in, in the scripture. And they are presented in this story as much as a fact as any of the other historical details that we can actually anchor into history. So alongside the census, alongside the locations of Bethlehem, there are the angels, right? But aren't angels, like for many people, an artifact of the old way of thinking, right? People don't believe in angels anymore, do they? Well, this is an interesting thing, actually, uh, in our culture. There's, there's an exception here. Do you realize uh, Gallup did a, a poll two years ago, 2016, and surveyed the American public, eight out of 10 Americans uh, actually believe in angels. That's pretty incredible when you think about the historical, cultural moment that, that we're sitting in. And, um, and I am one of those eight in 10 people. Uh, I bet many of you guys are as well. I bet most of you guys are as well. However, what I guess that I'm realizing and why uh, this, this popped out, the angels popped out of the scripture this morning for me, is, is because um, I think I've realized that I've functionally kind of disbelieved in angels all these years. I've just kind of functionally ignored angels in the Christmas story and, and actually um, in the Bible altogether. Because angels are actually plentiful. They are all over the Bible. There are over 300 references, I discovered, uh, to angels uh, from the Old Testament to the New in, in the Scripture. And I've never, ever 
given serious consideration to the angels. Never pause to think, whoa, what, what could I learn? What do I actually think? What does the Bible teach about, about angels? And, and I'm sure part of that is some hesitancy, and I bet you have it too, just based on the cultural place that we live in today in, in, in the world. Like, like uh, how am I supposed to understand these beings that really are otherworldly? How do I reconcile uh, my belief in angels with my bachelor's of science from the University of Illinois, right? Like, uh, uh, probably some of my hesitation is, is because I've met people who are overly enthusiastic about angels and have weirded me out on late night television shows, right? And honestly, uh, I think part of the functional ignoring of angels, uh, for me personally, is that I've never, I've never seen one. And honestly, I'm not sure that I want to. <laughs> um, uh, so so uh, this morning, what I thought we could do um, in examining the scripture, and as this carol kind of moves us into it, is that we could, we could let angels be front and center and not ignore them any longer. We keep them from passing us by. I, I am thinking we could let our understanding of angels mature and grow up. And, and, and we're not going to do a full theology of angels. We don't have time for that. It would take weeks. Uh, and I'm not going to close with three steps on how to meet an angel later on this week, right? Um, but what, 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 what I think is possible is for us to look at this scripture in particular and, uh, and get a clear theological picture of what we can learn from them here in Luke 2, right? And, and, and in doing that, I think we'll get a greater appreciation uh, for the wonder of God's creation, seen and unseen, uh, which is part of what we celebrate here as we approach Christmas, okay? So here's the first thing that I want to draw out of the passage this morning. Angels are an awesome and terrifying part of God's creation. Angels are an awesome and terrifying part of God's creation. Something that I think is worth noting in this passage, and actually virtually every other passage in the Bible where angels show up is the way folks respond who see the angels. Verse 9 says this, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified, right? They were terrified. So, so these, these shepherds are, are minding their own business in a field, as they have always done, watching over their sheep, and, uh, and these angels show up. And it's not like suddenly they get this warm, fuzzy, beautiful feeling in, in their tummies, right? Like just the opposite happens. Like they're scared out of their minds. They're absolutely terrified. And in fact, I wish we could uh, kind of bring this out, but the, the word that's used for terrified in the Greek, uh, in another place it gets translated to be put to flight, like when you try to run away. And so what happens to, to these shepherds when these angels show up, like, is, is they were terrified to the point that they do what Johnny did the first time he heard thunder. He ran for cover, right? Like he is he was terrified. He was scared. And, and, and this is the picture that we get when the angels show up. They, their knees are shaking. Their hearts are beating uh, so fast, they're terrified. And then, and then if you keep tracking, what do the angels say to, to these shepherds? Verse 10, but the angels said to them after they were terrified, do not be afraid. Do you know that when angels see people in the Bible, this is almost always the first thing that they say to people because everybody 
is, is scared. Uh, everybody's wanting to run away when an angel shows up. If an angel shows up to you, uh, you might need to have a change of clothes afterwards, right? And, 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 and honestly, that makes sense to me because um, I, I, I get this because angels are, are an otherworldly being, right? They're from, they're from heaven, and it's something that really ought to be, should be, as they're described, beyond us, right? We, we can't capture or measure angels in the way that we do other things. We don't understand them. We don't have an ability to control them. Frankly, uh, uh, angels, the power that they are described as having in the Bible is, is really terrifying. Angels are the ones that come in and, and shut the mouths of lions, in the book of Daniel, they moved the tombstone of Jesus at the resurrection, which took a, a group of men to get into place. Angels are the ones that, that broke and loosed the chains of Peter when he was in jail. And when angels cut through our world with ease and we, and we see it, like, of course, we're going to be terrified. And, and, and I don't know, at least for me, taking a moment to, to recognize that and, and to realize that about angels, that they're awesome and they're terrifying, uh, it, it, makes, it makes them more real. It makes the story uh, actually become uh, more believable to me because this is how angels actually would have been because in the way that they're real, this is, they're otherworldly, they're, they're terrifying. And, and, and I think part of the reason many of us have this functional disbelief, even if we say we believe in angels, we ignore them, is, is because actually we've lost some of that biblical awesomeness, uh, some of the healthy fear that we ought to have when we think ab about angels. Because uh, who, who are angels to us today? How do we per portray them, right? Angels are cupids, right? We have these obese little cherub baby men, right? Who shoot love arrows, right? <laughs> like, like, I don't believe, I'm never going to believe in that. Like, that's crazy, ridiculous. Uh, you can't take that seriously. Or angels are um, these over-sentimentalized characters on, on television shows who are always there, but we never really know them. And not to say that actually the Bible itself says people have sometimes entertained angels and not known it, but it's not the primary way that angels show up in the Bible. They're instead awesome and terrifying, and everybody's scared out of their minds, right? Uh, angels are also like nice little ornaments on the Christmas tree or figurines in your grandma's glass cabinet that you were never allowed to touch. Angels are our children uh, in Christmas pageants who are incredibly cute with wings on, right? And not to say that that is, is in any way uh, bad, especially when I get to enjoy my daughter with wings on in a Christmas pageant, but I, I think all of it has contributed to the fact that we see angels in a, in a lesser, lower way than the Bible actually gives us a picture of them. And we really ought to recover the awesome, terrifying aspect of angels as we think about them as part of, of the stories, we think about them uh, here and now engaged in the world and sometimes intersecting our lives, which is uh, the next point that I, I kind of want to um, get into. Angels carry out the work of God in the world. What do angels do? Angels carry out the work of God in the world. Maybe this one um, seems obvious, like it's hiding in plain sight to most of us, but it struck me that as I read through the Bible and was surveying the different times that angels show up, they're always doing things, right? They're always active. They're, they're on some mission for God. 
And, uh, and, and there isn't one story in the Bible, and actually I've never ever heard even a person overly interested in angels tell a story that sounds like this. Well, I was walking in the woods one day, and I turned a corner, and there in a log was sitting an angel just, just hanging out, right? Like, the, it, angels aren't idle. We've, I've never heard a story of angels just, just sitting on the clouds, right? Hanging out. People, we don't stumble into them. Angels are always actively doing something. And I think that is a, a helpful observation when we think about their nature and why God created angels in the first place. Angels are, are God's workmen, God's army, the, the heavenly beings that sometime become a part of our seen reality here on earth that work out the redemption uh, and love of God here here today, right now. And that, that's what angels are, and that's what they do. And that's evident in our, in our passage, right? In the Christmas story, what are these angels doing? Uh, they are giving what is probably the most amazing birth announcement in the history of all mankind, right? At first, a single angel appears to these shepherds, and, and he says to them, I have good news. Don't be terrified. I have good news. The Savior of the world has been born. And then Luke shares, after he gives them this news, uh, this one angel is joined by a whole host of angels, which is what the text says. We don't actually know how many host is, but uh, we can imagine that it is, it is very large. And if one angel was terrifying and awesome, can you imagine how incredible and terrifying and awesome a sky full would, would have been? And so, so here are these angels, and what are they doing? They're, they're m- announcing Jesus' birth. Uh, they're, they're bringing this message, which actually is one of the most common things we see angels doing uh, in the Bible. Do you know that the word angel in the Greek comes from the word agelos, which, which actually means messenger? Uh, and so there's that, that direct connection. In the Old Testament, the word angel is malach, and it also means messenger. And so the name defines the, the primary function of angels that we see them doing in, in the Bible and in the world, and that is bringing people messages, right? Uh, there are other things, though, that angels do that actually, if you survey the Bible, uh, that, that are very interesting aspects of it. Angels guide. Angels guided uh, the women at the resurrection to Jesus's tomb. Angels guided uh, Philip in the book of Acts, to the Ethiopian who needed to be baptized. Angels guided Peter to Cornelius as the gospel opened up from just Jews to the entire uh, people that God had created from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Um, Angels also have uh, provided food in in regular uh, times in the Bible. Uh, uh, Angels uh, got food for Hagar in the book of Genesis. They brought food to Elijah, the prophet, during a famine that was predicted. G- uh, the angels brought food to Jesus after his 40 days of temptation in, in the wilderness. Angels also protect us. This is also something we see them doing in the Bible. Angels kept Daniel from harm uh, and when he was put in the lion's den. And also in the book of Daniel, there was an angel there when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three men, were put into a fiery furnace and survived. And it said there was another person or thing or angel walking around with them in, in that. And Hebrews uh, 1.14 kind of sums up uh, just a theology of angels in a general way. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. And so it's saying that angels 
what they do is they serve us. They're working out God's redemptive purposes in the world, in our lives, and this is what angels do, and I believe still uh, do today. Just to share one story, I, I said I have never seen an angel, and that's true, but I do uh, know some people whom judgment I trust, uh, usually, uh, who, who, had, who, who told me that they saw an angel, and that usually is because it's my brother. Uh, but my brother and my dad, uh, uh, a number of years ago, they were um, driving on just the major thoroughfare in, in the town where we grew up in Illinois. And uh, right in front of them was uh, a, a car accident. They, they, they saw it just in front of them, and they saw the two cars hit and kind of spin off, and I, and I believe one of them rolled. And uh, as my dad was kind of hitting the brakes, both of them, you know, as you imagine, kind of fixated on their eye, you know, watching what had happened. And what they both said, like they saw, was uh, as one of these cars was spinning, um, there was this, this thing that didn't make any sense that they both watched. There was uh, this person that got out of this window, but through a, a spot that was far too small for this person to have gotten out of. And the way that their body moved out of that window, it was against the momentum of the vehicle at, at that moment. And my brother and my dad both saw this, both talked about it to each other afterwards, and said, that didn't make any sense. How, how did this happen counter to what we actually, thought, actually saw should have happened? And the only explanation that they could come up with, even though they didn't see it, but that this was the work of one of God's angels saving um, the life of one of these people. And uh, and it it is the most personal, incredible story that I know about angels, but I know that there are a lot of incredible personal ones out there. I bet some of you uh, have have much more um, incredible ones than that. Actually, I would like to hear them, but in, in any case, all that reinforces for me, even though we don't fully understand it, why, how, what, right? Angels are indeed what the book of Hebrews says they are, ministering spirits and doing God's work in, in the world, right? Okay, here's the last thing that I think is really important to understand about angels. Angels point beyond themselves to God. Angels point beyond themselves to God. It's not so much that we get focused on the angels, but angels always seem to kind of move us to see God, to to, to glorify Jesus. And y'all have ever heard this phrase, um, don't shoot the messenger, right? I'm only the messenger, right? Even though I've got to bring you this bad news, there's somebody else who's responsible for it, right? So think about this. If angels are messengers, right, uh, and that's how we understand them inherently, wouldn't that also help us see that, that, that it's really not about the angels? It, it, it's, it's about the God who sends them, in this case, not bad news, but the good news that, that, that they bring, right? I think that 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 in their very nature helps us to understand that angels are not things that, that, that we're supposed to fixate on or focus on, uh, but things that are supposed to ultimately lead us to seeing the God who is beyond them, who commands them, who sent them. And there's a really actually interesting way that this comes out in the scripture. Uh, I want to read verse 9 again. An angel of the Lord appeared to them 
and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Notice this detail, the glory that is described there. The angels show up, but whose glory is it that is described there? It's not, it's not the angels, even though you would imagine that the angels would be incredibly glorious the, the text very specifically said it's God's glory that these shepherds kind of feel as these otherworldly beings show up, right? And, and, and I just think that's a, a subtle but um, specific note in the scripture that helps us understand a good theology of angels, that they point beyond themselves to, to God. It, angels are not the point. They weren't the point then. It was, it was baby Jesus, the birth of the Messiah, that was the, the news and the glory that they were bringing. The angels lead us to God. And actually, uh, this last point, that, that the angels push us, point us to God, is something that, that our carol, written by Charles Wesley, uh, does really, really, really well. Um, uh, you, you would think that this carol, if you just heard the title, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, would be about angels, right? Uh, it is the title, it is the first verse. Actually, the last line of every verse ends with a reminder of the angels singing. But what Wesley does, if you take time to listen to the lyrics, is, is he uses the angels as a jumping point to tell the greater good news about, uh, about Jesus' birth, to share the gospel. And, 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 and this carol that is, is an entry point of angels is ultimately about Jesus. I just want you to see that. I want to read the third verse of it so you can, you can see what, what Wesley does here. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Hail, the heaven-born prince of peace, right? We're hailing Jesus. Hail the son of righteousness, the one who comes and is righteous, because light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And then uh, it's a reflection on him being a little baby. Mild he lays his glories by, but he's born that no man no more may die, born to raise the son of earth. Why is he born? To give them second birth. And then again, hark the herald's angels sing, glory to the newborn king. It's a beautiful, incredible carol. It's one of the most theologically rich songs that we will sing all season, and, uh, and it's one that kind of should move your heart and mind to glorify God as, as you see the angels. Let me leave you guys with this. Um, next time you sing that song, or the next time this Christmas season, when you see an angel somewhere, um, maybe in a pageant or on a tree, uh, why don't you take a moment and pause and just imagine how awesome and terrifying it would have been if you were one of those shepherds in the field that night, right? Maybe you could consider that possibility that you were there, and then maybe you could consider the possibility that these angels who we believe are real could still show up in your life today, right? and how awesome and terrifying that would be. And, and as you cultivate uh, an awareness of that real possibility, friends, um, why don't you also then let it point you to the greater spiritual reality that we celebrate at Christmas? Because as awesome as the angels were, right, we believe in something far more incredible and the fact that God himself became flesh and dwelt among us, born as a little baby in a manger. We believe in some incredible things, y'all. 
And maybe the angels can just be an entry point to see and thank God for that. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you um, for your world, your creation, seen and unseen, that is otherworldly, that is so distant, that is so hard to wrap our minds around. But at the same time, Lord, uh, we acknowledge is real and part of the witness of the Bible and part of the stories of your birth and your death and your resurrection and the hope that we have in you. And Lord, I just pray um, as we moderns uh, with modern minds try to swallow and understand uh, the angels, Lord, you would just uh, remind us that, that you love us and the spiritual realities that are true are so much greater and awesome and incredible than we could ever imagine. I pray that in the name of your son, Jesus.